You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. So good to be together today, so good to worship the Lord Jesus Christ together. Wow, he must increase, we must decrease. I hope you can gather from the bumper that you just saw the timing of this series that we enter into is both significant and necessary. And as we get started, I want to clarify the purpose of this foundational series on the church and what we hope to accomplish by God's strength and power and grace among us right now. We'll put those on the screen for us right now so we can see. Here is the purpose, again, of this series, four main things we're hoping to do to biblically clarify what is the church. So this is a series that's going to be heavily based, obviously, on ecclesiology. Today we're looking at what is the church, moving on to who is the head of the church, finding out who the leaders of the church are, a series helping us to be renewed in mind as to the importance of the doctrine of the church. It's also going to be a call for sincere community in the church, examining again the, the biblical understanding of the 5G life, which really allows the flow of our discipleship in this church and to call people to that with most effective and fruitful living for Jesus Christ. We're going to seek to renew our commitment to the church. Lord willing, in this series, we're going to have a message on baptism, a message on the Lord's Supper, and a message on what it means to be a church member or membership in the church It's a call to renew our commitment, excited how God will use that. And then lastly, we are seeking to be convinced why our priority must be the church. When you understand what the church of Christ is and the privilege it is to be a part of this life-giving, eternally hope-offering institution, there is no greater privilege, which means then it must be our greatest priority. When our theology is right, then our lives will be aligned with that as well. One of the things I'm really praying for too during this series, you will see again how beautiful the church really is by the design of God. I mean, I know, man, it's so easy to criticize the church. It's everyone does it. We're so consumerist. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like him. I don't like her. It's so easy to sit back from the chair and just point and criticize. And yet again, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is God's design again to see the salvation of the gospel go forward. So in the end, biblically speaking, the church has, has, has issues. And yet it is God's vehicle to see people go again from death to life. So part of this series is praying for a renewal of love for the church and, of course, ultimately the head of the church, Jesus Christ. And I want to be up front to the elders' desire to make it clear right from the beginning of this series, it is designed to lovingly and graciously but clearly to draw a line in the sand at this time. We believe it's a critical time for the church to hold up the church as defined in Scripture. That's what's so key, to make sure that our definition of the church is what God's definition of the church is. Because one of the great temptations that we've been facing in our day is to loosen what it means to belong to the church. Or many right now are redefining church on their own terms based on their own circumstances and own desires. So pastorally, so much grace right now, so much grace now, because there's been so much confusion. But pastorally, so much grace right now, and so much clarity we need right now, because we must allow the Bible to define our direction. 
So we are eager during this series to welcome people into the church right now for the first time. We are excited to call people back to the church right now. We are anticipating a stronger commitment to the church during this time, but also realizing this, also realizing that some may find out at this time that they're not as close to the church as they thought, and they might decide to choose a different path altogether. That's just a bit of reality. Jesus promised that would happen. But it's so important to draw the line graciously and lovingly in the sand to make sure we know which side we're on, the Lord's side or someone else's side or some other side. Without a doubt, this will be a time, and it is a time right now for the church of refining. It's a time of pruning, but we pray it's also going to be a time of tremendous renewal. I was amazed again this past spring, you trim back a hedge down to its you know, kind of bare minimums, you cut it all back, and you're there, and it almost looks dead. It's not, it almost looks dead. Come back a couple months later, I remember I walked around the corner, and I saw this bush that was trimmed down to the very, kind of, to the very bottom, and all of a sudden, it just, this explosion of fruitfulness on this bush, just beaming, and just, I could not believe it. It took me aback, I you say, I cannot believe how flourishing this thing is. I believe by faith, that's what the Lord is doing to his church right now. Pruning hurts, dead branches cut away. But in the end, the reason the Lord prunes is that he desires to bring life. And by faith right now, the Lord is pruning this church and every other church I know of. But I pray he's going to do it to explode with fruitfulness in our midst. And I pray you will join me in faith to believe the same. Might be fewer, man, it's going to be so much stronger in the end, so much greater. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Hey, important time, amen? Important time. So let's pray. Let's pray for this series. Let's pray for this message right now. Father, together as your church, we pray to you, the awesome, holy, amazing God. Oh, Lord, help us. Use us right now, Lord. Would you teach us? Would you change us? We give to you this time. We give to you, Lord, this time in your world. We give to you this series. We pray, Lord, in this critical time, so much clarity, so much conviction, so much encouragement, so much faith, Lord, so much life. Do it. Father, I pray that now is the time. Now is the time that you are giving orders to release favor and joy and blessing and the power of the Holy Spirit upon your church. Father, I pray in your grace and mercy, now is the time that you will change lives in such an amazing way. You will renew hearts, Lord. You will cause us to see our greatest purpose as part of your church and the worship of Jesus Christ. Lord, may it be so. May it be so. Together we pray. So thankful for your church gathered today. So thankful for the men and women and children loving you in this way. So thankful to sing songs of praise. So thankful to greet one another in Jesus' name. So thankful to now be under the word. So thankful to be a people of prayer. So thankful with the mission for the lost. So thankful for all that you've entrusted us with. And we do pray as we sang today, Lord, the best is yet to come. May it be so. Not easy, but awesome, Lord. Not without pain, but so much privilege in the church of Jesus Christ. Maybe so help us, Lord, help us, help us, help us. Weedy, needy yet expectant, oh God, weak and yet, Lord, filled with faith. We pray this together in Jesus' name. If you agree, let me hear you. Amen, amen. All right, here's where we start today. The fundamental and foundational question of what is the church. Today is both a doctrinal introduction and also a biblical clarification. 
There's going to be much of this content coming through this whole series because in a sense, this is an introduction doctrinally to the church, but we're going to take what we can and bite off what we can chew at this point in today's message. So we're going to answer this question, what is the church, in three specific ways today. Answering the question, what is the church, in three specific ways. Here's answer number one to that question, and his point number one is this, the church is both visible and invisible. The church is both visible and invisible. So one of the ways that theologians have categorized the church is in two descriptions. On the screen for you, you can see it here. The church has been described, again, the visible church is this. The church as Christians on earth see it. So I want you to look at this. I want you to think about it. I want you to digest it. Just think about that. The visible church is the church as Christians on earth see it. Compared to the invisible church, which is the church as God in heaven sees it. Now just think about those two and the difference. The church as Christians on earth see it, and then the church as God in heaven sees it. The main point of these descriptions is that only God knows the true heart. So therefore, only God knows the true church. For example, okay, for example, we gather today. We gather today in this building, right here in this room, in overflow, right? This is an expression of the visible church. Someone walks in, they look around, they say, these people obviously make up the church. They walk in this room, hey, look, there's the church, there's the church. These people, again, are the church. However, God sees it differently. God sees it differently in that God knows that not everyone here is actually a part of his church. There's no way that every single person here at Overflow, whatever, me watching online, that every single person is physically here, but there's no way every single person is actually part of the true church. Just because someone attends church doesn't make them the church. Or just because someone watches online doesn't make them necessarily part of the church. This is why in this shocking statement, but a statement of reality, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says to the people who said, how come we know? We did this, we did that for you. And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Just because you do certain things and show up in certain places doesn't mean you're actually in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The point then, 2 Timothy chapter 2, where it says the Lord knows those who are his. He says, so therefore, the pure definition of the church then, the pure definition of the true church is the community of all true believers of all time. The church then is made up of those who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. This is why Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again, not you must attend church. You must be born again. You must be alive in the Holy Spirit. You have to go from old creation to new creation. There must be the evidence of the Holy Spirit making you new, that you have gone again from death to life. You must be born again. Everyone who's born again by the Holy Spirit, saved by grace, again through faith. Those are the people that are part of the true church of Jesus Christ. 
Alistair Begg, he said it this way, a quote for you on the screen. He said this, membership is not a matter of external attachment. Rather, true membership in the church is spiritual union. Now look at that. Think about that too. See, us showing up today is, is an external attachment just on a superficial level. But there must be more than that. There must be a spiritual union. We must be alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. So only those who are truly saved in Jesus Christ are part, again, of the true church. But let me be clear here, too. This doesn't mean that every conversation we have today, we're walking around doubting someone's salvation. That may not be super helpful, right? But it does mean this. We're not naive enough to think that just because someone is here physically means that person is here spiritually. And by the way, amazingly in our day, this is still a very, very serious danger for so many people still in our, in our nation today. There are so many people sitting in different church views all across this land thinking as they go to church, stand up, sit down, say some prayers, do some things, that makes them part of the church they're going to heaven. So many people are still in that place of such serious danger because they've been taught it's what they do that saves them as opposed to what Christ has done for them. Still in our day, that's happening with so many. Sometimes entire church denominations Religions are filled with such teaching and false understanding. Also, any movement that claims that they are the one true church, maybe some of you grew up in such a setting, you were part of the one true church. Only you were saved and only your church were full of people who are saved. That is supremely arrogant and biblically wrong. Anyone who claims that, you don't know the heart. And in fact, so many of those situations, you have people who are taught such a thing, so they're saved by works, not by grace. The point is only God can judge the heart. But this is why here at Hope Bible Church, we are so passionate about truth leading to life. We are so, even in this message already, so passionate about if you're saved in the Lord Jesus Christ, prove it with the fruit of your life that is only produced by the Holy Spirit. Because those are the men, women, and children that, again, are evidencing the reality of Christ living through them. That is why also baptism as a believer as a believer, is so powerful. Baptism as a believer is proclaiming without my reality within. I'm proclaiming the symbol of under the water, coming up under the water, Christ saved me, and now I'm, I'm testifying to the reality I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. More to come on that later on in the series. What is the church? The church is visible and invisible. Here's the second answer to this. The church is explained through images. The church is explained or described through images. So when you really think about it, okay, the church and its nature is amazing. The, the nature of the church is so beautiful that those of us alive in Christ, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. Just, just astoundingly awesome and beautiful. When you also think about it, the church also carries a profound mystery. That's what the Bible describes the church for us in images or metaphors to help us understand. There are several images in Scripture. We're going to look at four of them this morning together. They will be on the screen for you as well. Let's, let's go through this right now. What are some of the images that describes the church in the New Testament? First one, the building of Christ. The building 
of Christ. So turn in your Bibles right now to Matthew chapter 16. And by the way, I've been easy on you so far this message because now I'm going to make you work, all right? So let's make sure we do this together. Matthew chapter 16, we'll be turning to several passages, and I'm going to insist that you join me on doing that because we are students of God's Word, and we want to learn and grow together, and several passages you can highlight, and you can uh, make sure you remember that they are there. Matthew 16, Matthew chapter 16, of course, first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 16, look at verse 18. Now, again, we're focusing on the church described as the building of Christ. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What's Jesus doing here? Notice, Jesus is building something. It's called his church. Jesus is building his church. And when Jesus decides to build something, no one and nothing is going to stop him. In this building, Jesus himself happens to be the cornerstone. Turn to Matthew 21, verse 42. Just a few pages to your right. Matthew 21, verse 42. Listen to that sound. Praise the Lord. No iPhone can do that for you. Love it. Matthew 21, verse 42. Notice, Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone, Jesus the stone, that the builders rejected, that so many people did not believe in. They tossed aside the people, the The stone they rejected, he has become the very cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is the stone that the church is built upon. Jesus is the stone which all others are measured upon. And because Jesus is the cornerstone, ready? Because Jesus is the cornerstone, this building will not fall. This building will never be declared condemned. This building will never fail. Jesus himself is the cornerstone. Hey, church, be encouraged. Anyone who predicts the demise of the church, no, 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 no. I predict their demise, the church will continue on, right? It's not a chance the church will ever fall into ruin, ever. Doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter what leaders fail. Doesn't matter what people give up on. Doesn't matter what the culture says. Doesn't matter what the media says. The church will never, ever falter or fail simply because of this truth. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Now think about it. Now clap for that. Clap for Jesus. Amen. I love that. I love that. Amen. Amen. And think about it. Next week, the whole message, Lord willing, who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ is the head of the church, the head of the church is perfect. The head of the church is omnipotent. The head of the church is the creator of all things. The head of the church is sovereign. The head of the church is absolutely awesome. Therefore, if that's the head of the church, I like the church's chances. Which is why, again, which is why we are still here 2,000 years later and all the history that has passed and the church of Jesus Christ goes on in every corner of the planet, not because of us, because of him. Because he is the cornerstone of the church. Amen. Amen. Good day to clap. 
Jesus, we love you. We clap for you. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, all right? Turn right, Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go there together. Make sure you pressure your neighbor to turning with you, all right? Positive peer pressure today. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. That's it. Next service, I'm starting to wear glasses. I can barely see anymore, so I'm doing it. From now on, next time you see me, I'll be wearing glasses, all right? Here we go. All right, so next week. Yeah, have them, have them back there. I'm going to get them for next service. It's just the way it goes. All right. All right, but I can just read enough right now. All right, so Ephesians 2 verse 19 says this. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Notice that. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ, Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Such great verses to have highlighted and, and, and just acknowledged right there. Listen, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That's awesome. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. That's awesome. A dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So consider what we're learning here. The church is a building. But not just any building, it's a temple. But not just any temple... It's the dwelling place for God by his spirit. That blows me away. Just, just, let's not rush through that. Just, just think about that. The church is a holy temple set apart as the dwelling place for God by his spirit. That's you and me alive in Christ. A dwelling place for God by his spirit. That's so awesome. Notice, notice it says there in verse 21, joined together, grows into a holy temple. Now, what do we learn there? The church is always increasing in size. You see that? The church is always increasing in size. You're like, well, I don't know. I'm in the church in Canada. It seems to be shrinking. No, 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 no. The true church never shrinks. Have you heard about what God is doing across this globe and too, in like Africa and South America and Asia and beyond? I mean, the media will never tell you that. The church is always growing. It's always increasing in size. It's right there in the text. Increasing in what kind of size? Holiness. See that? Into a holy temple. The church is always being sanctified right now, man. This pandemic, it's being used to sanctify and increase in holiness. Again, that's the purpose of Christ over his church. Consider this then too. This isn't some haphazard last minute plan throwing bricks into a pile. This is the very design of God. The church isn't some empty, boring museum. This is God's house, and it's alive with him. So this is where this doctrine fuels my fire, right? No matter how many times you hear people say, oh, how weak or how broken down the church is reported to be. No, 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 no. The church cannot be stopped, okay? Because militaries will crumble. Governments will crumble. Companies will crumble, Google will crumble, okay? Nations will crumble. The church will never crumble because Jesus Christ is building his church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. We don't have to wonder about that. Just look back in history. It's been proven again and again and again. Nations rise and fall. Militaries rise and fall. Companies rise and fall again. Governments rise and fall. And the church carries on. 
Aren't you so glad you're part of something that will never, ever be able to be diminished or broken and part of something that will last forever? That is the reality and the truth of the glory of what it means to be part of the building, which is the church of God. Again, praise the Lord for that. Jesus Christ is building his church. Nothing, nothing will ever stop him. Nothing. Here's the second image. It's the body of Christ. Look at Ephesians 1. I'm not even making you turn anywhere. Ephesians 1, verse 22. Or 22 and 23. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, gave Christ, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Notice, Christ is the head of the church. And the church is his body. So this means then that Christ holds authority over his church. This means that Christ determines direction for the church and the destiny of the church. This also means here though that as his body, we have important and specific roles to play. Now just stop there for a second. So much awesome theology today. Christ is the head, we are the body. The body is important to the head. The body has functions to play out, again, for the head. That means every single person alive in Jesus Christ, you are part of the body of Christ. Listen carefully. You have a God-ordained and God-given role to play in his church. Are you? Are you fulfilling the role that Christ has given to you as you have been privileged and honored to be a part of his body belonging to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. There are no exceptions. Every single person alive in Jesus Christ has a part to play in the body. Has the last 18 months furthered that role in your life or lessened that role in your life? Everyone watching right now, is your role being fulfilled in the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ as part of his body. And that has been the challenge in the last recent months, hasn't it? The challenge of the body not coming together. Some have fought through this challenge and remained fruitful to the body. But let's be honest. There are some body parts that have become detached from the rest. I don't like the chances of a hand that is detached from the body by itself. You take a hand and you detach it from the rest of the body, it's going to decay, it's going to wither, it's going to rot. It must be attached to the vine. It must be attached to the body, of course, which is attached to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. One of the things I'm really praying for, my own life family, all of us as, as a church family, there's no greater privilege, there's no greater privilege in life than being part of Christ's body. Just, just to think about that, think about that. We don't think about that enough. The absolute honor and privilege of being saved by Christ and being able to say, I am part of the eternal, life-giving, joy-producing, again, death-rescuing body of Christ. The building of Christ, the body of Christ, 
The next image is this, the bride of Christ. Staying in Ephesians, look at Ephesians chapter 5. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 25. I'm going to read several verses here. Ephesians 5 verse 25. This is such a healthy reminder. This is so good. This is so beautiful. Ephesians 5 verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Notice, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What a powerful passage that is. One of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament. Listen to this. The ultimate model for how a husband is to love his wife is to look at how Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Christ died for the church. He saved the church. He sanctifies the church. He selflessly loves the church. And the text tells us that one day Jesus will present the church as a spotless bride, purifying her and making her holy. And just think about it. We are the bride of Christ. Saved in Christ, we become the bride of Christ. What does that mean? Jesus is the bridegroom. Think about it, church. Think about it. That means Jesus. Think of how jealous Jesus is for our love. Not a sinful jealousy, a right jealousy. The love that he deserves. The love that he's entitled to. He longs for the love of his church, just like any bridegroom should. Any bridegroom longs for the love of his wife. In that sense, I am jealous for the love of my wife. In a good way. I long for the love of my wife. All these years later, still there. Long for her love, jealous for her love. It's just right. It feels awesome. How much more Jesus then? How much more Jesus longing for our love, longing for the affection of a church, longing for commitment, longing for the loyalty he deserves, longing again for the love that he has given to us that we would then return to him because of all that he's done for us. We are his bride. We must love the bridegroom. Just think and ask yourself, what are you longing for right now? What are your affections being placed in? What is your greatest passion right now? What is it? Is it Christ? Is it the bridegroom? Is it something or someone else? That's where it's messed up, man. That's where theology has gone wrong. Our greatest love and affection must be for the bridegroom who one day is so soon going to return for his bride. And the moment Christ returns for his bride and you look up or whatever, however that ends up happening and you see again Jesus Christ returning in his glory, the only thing, we say it all the time, the only thing that matters is him. 
all of your love, all your affection, all of your interest, all your passion, there it is fulfilled in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 19 calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb. Look at these verses here. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Are we ready? Are we making ourselves ready or are we distracted with all the things of the world? It was granted her to clothe herself with pure linen, with fine linen and bright and pure. And his bride has made herself ready. We wait for this day, don't we? We long to be a people of purity, fidelity, and sincerity. The honor and the privilege and eternal blessing it is to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. Let's make sure we remind ourselves we are not some bowling club, okay? No offense, bowling clubs, okay? We are not some softball league, okay? No offense, softball leagues, okay? We're not a club or a league. We are a divine institution, under the design of God. Don't ever compare. I mean, that's a huge breakdown of your understanding of the church. And you start comparing your part in the church as part of CrossFit as the same. That's a massive breakdown. And you give way more attention to CrossFit than you would to the church. That's also a massive breakdown. One is temporal. One is temporal. And the other is eternal. And designed by God and Jesus Christ is the head. The building of Christ, God's word is so awesome. The body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Lastly, this, the family of God. The family of God. Part of the astounding doctrine of salvation is the truth that God adopts us as his children. I mean, just think about that for a second. Saved in Christ means you are adopted into the family of God. Amazing. Awesome. And if those saved by Christ becomes God's children, right? If we're saved by Christ, we become God's children, then that means God becomes our father. Heard that last week, Pastor Kevin, awesome, just an awesome word. And if God becomes our father, then that means that all who belong to God become our brothers and sisters. Think about that. If God is our father then everyone who's saved in Jesus Christ also has God their Father, which means then that everyone saved in Christ becomes brothers and sisters, eternally speaking. What's up, Brother Jeff? Sister Holly? Good to see you guys. Brothers and sisters in Christ. That is so awesome, Brother Bill, Sister Marlene. Brothers and sisters in Christ forever, eternally speaking. That is so awesome. That is so encouraging. This is where the reality of our relationship with each other in the church is stronger than our biological ties. It is. No biological family can produce eternity. Only Jesus Christ can do that. I've told this story many times. I love it. Every time I tell it, I love it. Billy Graham actually told the story. He told the story. It was a cold Europe winter day. And a man was bundled up in the, in the, in the kind of bitter cold. He was walking down the street and he was humming or singing one of the famous Christian hymns as he was walking along and another man was walking down the street who spoke a different language but heard him hum or be, you know, whistling the tune of this, of this famous Christian hymn and the other man realized what it was and he began to hum or 
uh, whistle it as well. And the two men stopped, and they couldn't speak the same language. They, they looked at each other. They realized they were both brothers in the Lord. They could not communicate in an actual language where they would understand, but they communicated in the spiritual language. They were both saved in Jesus Christ, never met each other before. They stopped. They embraced. They hugged. They smiled. They praised the Lord, and they went on their way. That is what it means to belong to the same family. You instantly know we share something that no one in this world can understand unless they are in the family of God saved by Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. It's awesome. Amen. Amen. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's the way, again, that's the very thing that Satan is sometimes most afraid of. Terrified of this being the reality. Think about it again. Without Christ, all earthly relationships are just that. They're earthly. But in Christ, they are eternal. So then... Think about the love that should be expressed for one another. Consider the sacrifice we should make for each other. Think of the love that should be expressed for each other. And so much of that love I see in such a continual basis here in this church. But it can always be more, can it? And each of us doing our part in the body. And this is, this is, this is always the key, Right? Sometimes people are so quick just to point to a few people in the church and you do it all, you do this. But no, that's not God's design. God's design is one body, many parts. As all of us do our part, man, then all of a sudden things start happening. Like I always say to my family, so we, so we have four kids, right? I always say to my family, just say, hey, hey, kids, kids, as long as mom and dad are doing all the work, it doesn't really work really well, right? But if we all, if all six of us decide to work together, man, we get things done, like, it's amazing to me. Hey, family, huddle up. Ready? This is not a two-man team. This is a six-person team. You guys ready to do your work? Like, if we all work together, it's incredible to me how effective and, and how fruitful we become together. That's six people. Take several thousand. Everyone doing their part. You gotta stop passing it off on me or someone else. You gotta stop looking to like If you are saved in the body, prove it by your part in the body. That's, that's when the enemy gets afraid, man. Everyone taking action to bear fruit for Christ, doing their part in the body, look out. The love, the joy, the effectiveness, and the fruitfulness. The body of Christ. Listen, you can't do it on your own. And we're designed to do it together. We need each other. There's more to come on this in the weeks to come, but let me just put a, a quote up on the screen for you right now. And just a, a staff from the New Testament, I want you to see this. Out of 114 times the word church is used in the New Testament, at least 90 of them refer to specific local gatherings of believers who came together for fellowship and mission. Just think about that. Digest that for a second. 90 out of 114 times the word church is mentioned refer to, refer to specific local gatherings. The conclusion what is abundantly clear in the New Testament that if you're going to genuinely follow Christ, you must connect to his church. And if you're going to connect to his church, you'll be part of the church and serving the church. There's a great need for serving right now. COVID has, has hurt us greatly in that regard. So many people distant and gone away and just kind of fallen off that, whatever. It's a great need for people to, to stand up and say, I, I, I desire to play my part in the body and to serve, theologically speaking, and aligning myself with what Christ has so clearly said is my role in the church for time such as this. We've seen the descriptions of the church. We've seen the images of the church. And now let's just end with this. 
The church has three main purposes. I just want to do this to renew our minds right now. I'm not going to take a long time doing this right now as well. But let's put that up on the screen for us as we can. The church has three main purposes. Just to remind us as to what is our essential role and our purpose a part of the church. Number one, ministry to God. The first and greatest purpose of the church is ministry to God in worship. That's why the greatest commandment is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Ephesians 1-2 says that we are created to the praise of his glory. When we gather as a church to worship, like to sing, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. And when we are authentically doing that together, the power of our purpose that converges together in that way. It's ministry to God. Our worship is the greatest purpose. That's why this gathered setting right now is so massive. It's everything. Together in the worship of Christ. Secondly, our ministry to believers. The purpose of the church is ministry to believers. The nurture, the discipleship, the growth of believers, right? You can't let the pandemic stunt your growth. The Bible insists on Christian maturity. Colossians 1, that we would present everyone mature in Christ. The purpose of the church is to see people grow in sanctification to become more like Jesus Christ. This is why we're in this series right now. The purposes of discipleship, calling us to what God so clearly says, not letting people just wander off, calling back. Again, the greatest purpose of your life, for this is the will of God, 1 Thessalonians 4, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Ministry to God and worship, ministry to believers, nurture, and lastly this, ministry to the world, evangelism and mercy. Worshiping Christ, seeing each other grow in Christ, and then seeing more people saved and more people cared for. The purpose of the church, loved ones, look at that we might go out and and, and minister. My wife and I are walking down the street just this past week, two days ago, Bumped into some neighbors, talking to them. Five minutes in the conversation, a chance to share the gospel again. Took it. Took it. Did my best. Share the gospel. It's great. My testimony. Able just to, because we have a desire to see evangelism to the lost and mercy and compassion to the poor and to the weak. The three purposes of the church. So good to be renewed in this, isn't it? So this is the purpose of the church. Therefore, ready? This is the purpose of your life. How you doing? How you doing? If you're saved in Christ, this is your purpose. How's your purpose going? How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Together. Together. Better, better, better. Together. Better. Together, Lord, help us. Together. The purpose of the church, the purpose of our lives. The last slide I want to end this message with, we can put it up right now, is this. I love this theology so much. You'll see this throughout, this throughout this series. At the end of the day, loved ones, Jesus Christ loves his church. The blood of Christ, Jesus died for the church. The bride of Christ, Jesus married the church. The body of Christ, he's the head of the church. Hmm. Do you think Jesus loved the church? Jesus, look at, look at what, what more can he do? Died for the church, married the church. He's the head of the church. He loves the church. Here's the question. Ready? Do we? 
Do we love the church and love Christ as the head of the church? Do we? I'm praying, I'm praying in a new way, in a Holy Spirit way. I'm praying we will find a renewal, a renewal of love for Christ and at the same time a love for his church and all its failings and all its warts and all its issues in the church. But we would see it's God's design and we're here. God help us to make it as best as it can be with what he's given to us. Let's pray, let's pray. Jesus, you love the church so much and I pray at Hope Bible Church more and more men, women, and children would have a, a renewed season of affection for you, of life in you, commitment to the church, and a desire to be a part of the most powerful institution on the planet. Second place isn't even close. Lord, lead us now. We commit to you this entire time. We commit to you what's ahead. We commit to you our lives, I pray. There's no greater privilege than being part of the church of Jesus Christ. And if that is true, and it is, then that means that there's no greater priority. Think about that, loved ones. All listening right now, there is no greater privilege than the church of Jesus Christ. So that means there must be no greater priority then in our lives. Lead us, Lord. Fill us. Help us. Even as we sing now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.